Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. We're in Mark chapter 10, and uh, what's about to happen, or what has happened, I should say, is Jesus reminded his disciples he's going to the cross. He's going to die. They're not completely clear on what all is going to happen as much as you and I know, but you have to understand we know what happens. We know the rest of the story. They're living it, so they don't quite understand everything. But Jesus has made it as plain as he has ever made it in his ministry what's about to happen. He's going to go to the cross, and as we talked about last week, he has his eyes set, his face like a flint towards Calvary. He knows where he is going. He is not turning back. He is on his way. He is confident. In fact, in the next chapter, chapter 11, the, we see a triumphal entry of Jesus going into Jerusalem. I mean, being received as a king, a victorious king, the victorious king that he is. So all of it's coming together. It's all happening. But before that, there's this little vignette, this little story that gets inserted here. And I think this story should give us as believers a little bit of hope and faith. And I want you to see this in this, in this passage here. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able to. We're going to read Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. We believe that these words were breathed out by the Holy Spirit, written down by a man named John Mark, yes, probably given information from a man named Peter, one of the disciples. But it's the Holy Spirit who wanted us to hear this, and we're going to hear these as the, the voice of our King. And here's what he says. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he, Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried a great deal more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good cheer, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Let's pray together. Lord, please help us to learn from Brother Bartimaeus here. Help us to follow faithfully, trusting fully, everything that you've ever said, everything that you've ever taught. We say we believe in Jesus. Give us courage to follow him as we ought. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. Jesus has a lot of different titles. Some he gives to himself, some others give to him. But they all have slightly different meetings. But they all kind of point to 
especially when you put them all together, they definitely point to who Jesus really is, his, his true nature. He's God, God in the flesh. He's God come to earth in the form of a man to die, to die for the sins of all of humanity, to save man from their sins. That's all these names. Again, even some of the derisive names that they throw at him when he's on the cross. Oh, he's king of the Jews, trying to make fun of him. Well, they don't understand. Yeah, he is actually king of the Jews. That's really what he's came come to do. All these different names are intended to show who he is. There's two names in actually just in chapter 10 of Mark, but Mark uses really one of these names a little more than the other uh, for Jesus. One of them is called the Son of Man. And Jesus usually uses this, this term to refer to himself. I am the, or he refers to the Son of Man, and he's usually talking about himself. You see it in Mark chapter 10 in the previous verses, verse 45 most notably. It emphasizes he's the Son of Man. It emphasizes his humanity, the fact that he is in the flesh. It emphasizes the fact that he's come to suffer, to die. It's kind of referring back to that suffering servant of Isaiah in some respects. But it's this emphasis that Mark has on Jesus as the Son of Man. And like I said, Jesus often referred to himself as, as this as well. But there's another title that shows up in this passage that we just read, and it's called the Son of David. It's a little bit of a different emphasis. It emphasizes his connection to royalty because in the Jewish culture, you understand David was not just the first name, a common first name. David was the king, the one king that was above all other kings in their mind. He was that, that talking about make American great, making Israel great again, would have been putting David on the throne, you understand. That's how they would have seen that, that David was the epitome of what they were supposed to be about. There was an image, this idea that the son of David would be this image of a conqueror, a leader, a healer, somebody who's going to fix everything that's wrong. It was also a very Jewish title for Jesus. He is Messiah. That was essentially what they were referring to. It's also suggestive of that idea that's in, the, in a lot of the prophets of the Old Testament where there would always be someone on the throne of David. And this is what they were referring to when they'd say the son of David. As a very Jewish name for Jesus, it's uh, used about eight times in the Gospel of Matthew, which is much more of a Jewish-oriented gospel, whereas Mark is much more a Gentile-oriented gospel. It tends to be focused on um, Roman Christians, is who it was originally written to. But a lot of times when you see this in the Gospels, you hear somebody saying, son of, man, or, son of David, son of David, son of David. It's usually the outcast of society. It's not the Pharisees, the big guys. They're not, they're not calling him this. It's the outcast of society, and it's people who need something. They want healing. They're missing something. They're broken in some way, and they recognize in Jesus what they're missing. Bartimaeus is one of these people. Bartimaeus. In fact, it's interesting, his name is Bartimaeus, which literally means son of Timaeus. Bar, son, Timaeus. It says in the text, he is the son of Timaeus. His name is son of Timaeus. They literally don't know who he is. He's just a blind man. We just know he's associated with Timaeus down the road. So that's what his name is, his son of Timaeus. So he's a blind man. He's blind. He's poor. He is, he is, it's often those that are blind and ignored by others who have the best insight into who Jesus is, and Bartimaeus is no, ex no exception to that. 
So when he hears that Jesus, we see this in verse 47, when he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth who's coming to town, who's coming, or rather coming through town, uh, and through Jericho there, he hears that, he calls out for him for as the son of David. He recognizes him as the Messiah. He recognizes him. Here's a man, I want you to understand, Bartimaeus cannot see. He is blind. He cannot see anything, but what does he see? Even though he has no, literally no sight, he sees Jesus' true value. He sees his true power. He sees Jesus as worthy of worship. He sees Jesus' gospel, what Jesus has been proclaiming since chapter 1, that he is the king of the universe and he has come to conquer everything and to be in control of everything. He understands that gospel. He understands that. And he knew that whatever he needed... Jesus had it. I think a lot of y'all are sitting here this morning that are a lot like Bartimaeus. You don't have a lot of answers. You don't know what's going to be next. You can't see, in a sense, you can't really see much past the end of your nose because it's almost like trying to drive in the fog. Y'all know how that is, driving in the fog. And you really, you don't even, I mean, you can't see much past. You just kind of look at those lines and just try to stay between the lines. That's all you, and that's how some of our lives are. At least that's how my life is right now. Is I don't know what's going to happen beyond the bend. I don't know what's going to be there. Some of you have some real obstacles in your way. Bartimaeus, I mean, if anybody had any obstacles, he had some obstacles anyway. He couldn't see to get around for one. He was poor. He, couldn't, he, he was there begging by the side of the road. He didn't have any resources to do anything with. And just like Bartimaeus, you probably have a lot of reasons to doubt. I'd be surprised if there's not at least a good number of you in this congregation this morning, both in this room and on the internet watching, that don't have a lot of doubts floating through your mind. Why is God allowing this to happen? Why won't God fix this? Why won't this go right? Why won't this be changed? Why, why, why? And please understand me very clearly I understand why you're asking those questions, because I'm asking a lot of the same questions. Why won't you just fix, and you're just not clear, and you have a lot of reasons, even to the point where you may not admit this out loud, because this might, you know, your, your Baptist brethren will look down on you a little bit, but you might get to that point, you might say, did I miss something? Is this all just made up? Is this feel fake? This feels fake somehow, that I've just believed a lie? You start doubting everything, and, and I, want to, I want you to hear me I believe that's exactly what Bartimaeus was feeling. He was blind, he couldn't see, he had obstacles, he had reasons to doubt. But against all of the odds, from a human perspective, this blind man sitting by the side of the road should have just kept being a blind man sitting on the side of the road. But God supernaturally revealed to him a simple, life-changing truth. Jesus is God, come in the flesh. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus is preeminently worthy. Jesus is your king. Jesus is your Lord. He believed that, and I believe that many of you understand that and may even believe it in your heart. I believe that you do. But you know how that came about? The same way it came about for Bartimaeus. Not because you figured it out with your eyes, not because you were so smart, not because you had so many resources you went and bought this understanding. No, the reason is because God supernaturally gave you that understanding and you just simply believed what he gave to you. 
And because Brother Bartimaeus, because that was true for Brother Bartimaeus, I believe it's true for you, he offers us a great role model that in spite of our doubts and our obstacles, despite our inability and the lack that we have, despite our fear and our worry, the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And because of that, we need to first, I want you to see this in verse 47, we need to use what God has given us to seize on to, hold on to the gospel of Jesus. I want you to see this in verse 47. It says there, now remember, don't, don't, don't miss the fact that, that Bartimaeus is blind. So what does it say in verse 47? When he heard, if you're one that marks in your Bible, that heard would be a good word to underline. When he heard, not when he saw, because he couldn't see. He went with what he had. He heard. He heard that it was Jesus. And when he heard that, he began to cry out. That's another phrase you might want to focus in on. He cried out. He couldn't see, but he had a mouth that still worked. He had ears that still worked. Here's a man who could not fully assess everything about reality. There were pieces of his information that were missing. He couldn't get a full picture. But when he heard with his ears that Jesus was near, he cried out with his mouth to just Jesus. What Jesus, or rather what Bartimaeus has done is he has used what God has given to him. He was not classically trained. He was not religiously trained. I can about guarantee you if this man was born, probably born blind or blind at a very young age, did not have the benefit of a religious education that many of the Jewish boys would have enjoyed at the time. So he's not sitting there comparing what Isaiah said to, to what uh, Malachi said and, and going all the way back to the, 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 prophets, the, the, the stories of David. He's not going through all of that and comparing Scripture to Scripture like some, some sort of religiously trained, Sunday school trained uh, person. That's not who he is. He didn't have the ability to do any research. I mean, he'd had to be able to read the scrolls. They didn't have Braille back then. Y'all know that? They didn't have Braille back then. It wasn't invented yet. So he'd had to read the scrolls, and he couldn't have done that. There was no way for him to gather information. But what does he know? That God revealed to him who Jesus was. He was God. He was came come to die for his sins, and he would be the one who could fix him and help him and heal him. He used the information that God had granted him, the resource that God had given to him, to seize on this truth. My question on this point is simply, what are you going to do with God's gifts? Are you going to, there may be somebody that's listening to what I'm saying right now, and you believe all this, you understand all this, you know that you can, you can understand, you've heard a few things, but there's, there's still gaps in your information. It's like, well, I need this answered first. I need to know what, how's this work, and how does that work? And you're going to take the whole gospel of Jesus, and you're going to turn away from it in unbelief because you're missing something. You're going to turn away from eternal life because... You have been hurt by somebody or you didn't see the Christian life lived out the way you thought it ought to be lived out. You're, you're going to turn away from, and you're going to reject all of what Jesus has to offer because you don't know if you believe everything that McConnell Road Baptist Church believes or everything that that person that you said that's a Christian, what they say they believe. You're going to turn away from that. You don't, you're going to turn away from what Jesus has given you, the good gifts he's given you because you say, well, you don't understand my background. You don't understand how I was raised. You don't understand the situation I'm dealing with right now. This, if God was God, he would fix this. 
I don't know about your situation, but I can tell you what Jesus has done and what he has revealed to you is that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins, to give you an eternal life. Now, does that mean that every person in the world is perfect? Of course not. Because if it's true, and I believe it is, but if it's true, there's still a lot of imperfect people. Not just imperfect. We're talking about sinful, evil, wicked people in this world. Uh, some of whom call themselves Christians. <laughs> just you understand. So it, just because Jesus did all that, that doesn't mean everybody's perfect. It, it also doesn't take away the pain of your past. It also doesn't fill in all the gaps. Well, what about some obscure theological uh, question? I, I've had people do this with me before. When we're talking about the gospel, and we're talking about the goodness of Jesus, and what they'll want to do is say, well, let's go over here and talk about some obscure theological question that nobody has resolved in centuries of conversation and expect that has got to be resolved before they'll ever accept Jesus. And I want you to hear me, there's never going to be enough evidence if you're still looking for evidence, ever. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's not evidence that Jesus is true because I believe there is. I'm not suggesting that there's not evidence that the gospel is real because I believe there is. But I am suggesting that if you're looking for more and more and more and more evidence, you are blind. You will not find it. You cannot see it. You need to trust what God has given you and act in full faith on what he has done. Do like the man over in Mark chapter 9 that wanted his son to be, have, have that demon taken away from him. And he comes to the Lord and he tells the Lord in Mark 9, 24, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Do you understand what I'm getting across to you? You don't have to have perfect faith. It's not about how perfect your faith is, how full your faith is, how awesome your faith is, how strong your faith is. You just need to go ahead and take what God's given you and say, Lord, I'm going to trust what you, what you told me. I'm going to go all in on it. And if it breaks, it's on you. If it doesn't work, it's on you, Lord. Because I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. That's exactly what Bartimaeus did. My faith isn't strong enough. I don't know enough. But this is what you've told me. We need to use what the Lord has given to us and seize upon it. Now as he cries out in verses 47 and then again in verse 48, he cries out, thou son of David, have mercy on me. As he cries out, in verse 48 it says that there was people that were with Jesus that tried to quiet him down. It says there, they say... Um, uh, they say they charged him that he should hold his peace. They're, they're trying to get him to quiet down. And it's funny because Jesus' disciples did this sort of thing a lot. I, I think in a good way of looking at it, they're trying to protect Jesus. They're trying to make sure nobody bothers Jesus, you know. They don't want people to upset Jesus. They're, Jesus is important to them. And I understand that to some extent. But what did Jesus say? He, I mean, verse 45, he just told them what he came to do. He said, I'm not come to be ministered unto, but to minister. How, how's he going to minister to people if you keep them away from him? You've got to let people to him. But, but whether they're trying to protect Jesus or just trying to keep the riffraff out, uh, this is what, unfortunately, a lot of times the disciples of Jesus, even today, continue to do. In the name of propriety, in the name of trying to to keep things orderly, and I understand what we're trying to do to some extent, but in the name of that, we actually turn people away that are really trying to crowd to Jesus. Can, can I go ahead and just let y'all Christians in on a little secret? 
There's going to be people in heaven that are going to surprise you that they're in heaven. Because you know what gets them into heaven? It's not how good they are, not how nice they are, not how much their beliefs line up with your beliefs, but you know what, it, what gets them into heaven? They put their faith in Jesus. As long as you do that, now I'm not going to, I'll, I'll argue with you on some other d- d- doctrinal points. I, I'm not going to say I'm going to give up on those things. But I am going to say those are not the cut line to whether you get to heaven or not. There's one. Do you have Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior? And here these, these disciples are just trying to, to kind of keep him out, trying to say, no, just, just, it's okay. But Bartimaeus, he's not dissuaded at all. What does he do in verse 48? He cried the more a great deal. He just got louder. Good for him. Good for him. Just get louder. Just get louder. Because his message was clear. That's my Messiah. He can heal me. He can fix me. He's the only answer that'll do. I don't care what all you naysayers are going to say, but I know that he's the one that will change my life. He's the one that will save my soul. He's the only one. He's the one I need. I don't even need your opinion of me. I need him. That's what he's thinking and what he is saying. Do you know what Bartimaeus is doing in this very small way, in a pre-cross kind of setting? You know what he's doing? He's sharing the gospel. He's preaching the gospel to everybody that's around him. So I want to just tell, talk to you Christians for just a minute. Yes, uh, if there are unbelievers in this room, there are people that have never put their faith in Jesus. Jesus has shared with you what the truth is. You just need to believe it. Just go and grab hold to it. Now, you Christians that are sitting in here, you say, well, I'm already a follower of Jesus. One, secondary point, but I'll go ahead and make it. Quit keeping people away from Jesus. Go ahead and open the doors. Let people in. But let's follow Bartimaeus' example, and let's go ahead and declare the good news. Let's declare it. Now, there's some people that are not going to want to hear it. When you say it, they're going to say, hush up with that. I don't want to talk about that right now. There's going to be some people who are not going to respond to it. Some of you either have friends or loved ones, family members, maybe even people in your own house who you have been sharing the good news of Jesus, and you've been living the good news of Jesus in front of them for years and years and years, and they've not yet responded, but it may take years for them to be changed by the gospel, but don't stop declaring the gospel. There may be even some people, when you share the gospel, whether because they're Christians who want you to hush, or they're because they are unbelievers who don't yet believe in this, but no matter what, they're going to be against you because you declare the gospel. They're going to be saying, I don't understand why they've got to be talking about Jesus all the time. I don't understand why they've got to live their life in such a way that reflects the, the, the Bible. Why can't they just cut a little corner here or act a little different here or say a few words here? Why can't they live in a different way? Why do they, and they're going to be against you because of that. It may even cost you, and some of you know this because you've paid that price, it may cost you reputation, social standing, job advancement and let me go ahead and tell you this just in case some of you christians weren't aware of this you you probably are but in case you aren't even if it's not cost you anything to this point you might have been able to be a quote unquote jesus freak up to this point without a whole lot of consequence but i think that's going to change very 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 quickly to the point where if you're going to actually declare the gospel I'm not talking about an organized church visitation program. As much as we may want to do something like that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually the people you know 
and that you love and that you work alongside of, you showing and sharing, and I think both of those are important, both saying it and living it, the gospel, showing and sharing the gospel is going to come with a very high price tag. Now, it may not up to this point. I think some of you have had to pay that price, in some, especially in the job setting, to actually be a Christian, to, to not compromise in some ways. That may have cost you. And unfortunately, maybe it hasn't cost you because you've been unwilling, like Peter, you're too willing to deny the Lord. But do you believe, Christian, I'm asking you, do you really believe the power of God is in Jesus Christ unto salvation, that he is the only hope of salvation? Do you believe that he is the one who saves? Do you believe that he is what not only you need, but what this entire world needs? Do you really believe that? If you do, the path to following through with that is not always going to be easy. There will be obstacles. There will be resistance to that. But it's true. Truth is always truth is always truth is always truth. So it's either true or y'all are putting on an act. Now y'all decide which one you're doing. It's either true, and if it's true, then you need to let some people know about it, or you're putting on an act, you're just coming up here and you're putting, putting on some sort of religious charades so everybody thinks that you're a good Christian, a certain group of people, whereas you can go out and live a different way with everybody else. I, I don't know which one it is, and I'm not trying to accuse you. You have to let your own conscience speak to you. The path is not going to be easy, but truth is always true. So what we need to do is we need to ignore the naysayers and declare the gospel. I want you to see what he does when Jesus actually stops. Jesus actually stops the crowd and he says, um, it's in verse 49, he stands still and he commands him to be called. It's funny to see how this crowd turns on him. This is a little side note just because it's, it's interesting to me in this. Jesus stops and they say, oh, he says, I hear somebody calling me. Why don't you go ahead and bring him over here? And those same people who were saying, hush, Bartimaeus, be quiet, stop. They're like, look what they say to him. Be of good comfort, rise. They're literally saying, it's going to be okay. You, it's all right. You're good. This is awesome. Be happy. Hang on a minute. Just a minute ago, y'all were trying to shut me up, and now you're trying to butter me up. Which one is it? The crowd's always going to be fickle, you understand. That's just the way people are. So don't, don't try not to. It's hard. I, I'm, I'm the worst because I, I want everybody to like me. In case y'all didn't know that, I want everybody to like me. I'm so sweet and kind. I want everybody to like me. And so it hurts my feelings when I can't get somebody to like me. And because of that, I, I tend to want to act according to what the crowd is saying or what the, the louder voices is saying. But we can't do that. And that's the point from the previous point is we need to declare the truth no matter what they're saying. But here Jesus, he finally says, he said, Jesus says to him, says, I want, you, I want him to come here. And they say, they say there, it said, you know, be of good cheer. Uh, excuse me, be of good comfort, rather, rise, and he calleth thee. But look at what Bartimaeus does in verse 50. Casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Now, this garment that he had on, I don't know exactly what it would have looked like, but it would have been some sort of outer garment that he would have probably had because he'd probably be staying out there in the night. It'd be cold, probably keep him quick and warm. This man didn't have a whole lot in this world. You understand that. He was kind of poor. He didn't have a whole lot in this world. So I would be willing to bet you that that garment was probably one of the most valuable things that he owned. 
valuable in this usefulness to him, valuable in the amount of money he probably had to pay for it, or as far as the percentage of his wealth, he had none. So anything he had would have been bad. He, he's, he's, this is a valuable possession. But the minute that he understands he can come after Jesus, he can be in the presence of the Lord, what do we see him doing with this valuable possession? He casts it away. That possession, which would have probably been everything that he owned, it would have probably been his equivalent of his life savings around his shoulders. It was no longer valuable in light of Jesus. And when he gets in Jesus' presence, look what he says in verse 51, after Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do? Verse 51, the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. He says, Lord. He says, my, my possessions are not valuable to me anymore. I'm instead going to see you as my master, my Lord. You are the one that is going to be obeyed no matter what goes on. I'm going to ask you, he's asking the Lord for what only Jesus could give him. He's asking here, Lord, that I might receive my sight. It's a, it's a sight difference from, remember James and John in the last paragraph of, of Mark 10? When, they, when Jesus said, what do y'all want me to do for you? What do they want? Well, could we sit on your right hand? And can we sit on your left hand? Can, can we be important? And Bartimaeus is just saying, you're the master. I'll do anything you want me to do. But I sure would like to see you. I'd like to be able to see you. Of course, Jesus gives him that. But not only that, not only does Jesus say, yes, you're going you're gonna to be whole, and he says there immediately, verse 52, he saw it, got his sight. But that last phrase, and I emphasized it as I was reading it, but I want you to pay attention to that. He followed Jesus in the way. He could have done, Bartimaeus could have done what a lot of people did when they were healed by Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the healing. Head into the house. That's what they do. That's what a lot of people do. Thank you. Got what I need. Check. Maybe I'm, I might send you a card at Christmas. You know, something. Yeah, you know, I'll talk to you later. I'm heading out of the door. But what does Bartimaeus do? He throws his most valuable possession behind. He says, the only one that matters to me is my Lord. And I'm going to stay with him in the way. In fact, we, it is believed that Bartimaeus was probably among those in the early church, potentially even one of those in the upper room. He was definitely one of those in the early, early church. He followed in the way, which is, is a phrase that they would have used, not just in Jesus' way, but in the way of the cross, in the way of Calvary, in the way of the Christian faith. He was following in this, that he was one of the earlier, not just followers of Jesus, but potentially, well, definitely was one of the early Christians and potentially was one of the first martyrs of the church. This is a man who followed Jesus as Jesus asked him to. He denied himself, and he picked up his cross. And he said, my stuff doesn't matter to me. You're the only one that does. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. You say, well, he didn't have a whole lot. Well, you can say that because you're not blind and you got a few dollars in your pocket. But it was everything he had. And he said, I'll just give it up to follow Jesus. And I'm going to obey Jesus explicitly. I don't care what he tells me to do. And I'm going to follow him to my death. Are you willing to discard everything and follow Jesus, Christian? Are you? Are you really willing to do that? Because he's so valuable, because he's so precious, are you willing to do that? That's where it gets hard for me. I, I want to say yes, 
But as they say, proof's in the pudding. We can talk, we can say yes all day long, but what you gonna do? What you gonna do? We've got a blind beggar here who saw something that a lot of people in a lot of churches this morning haven't quite yet grasped. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the only worthy one. My question to close is, have you? Have you seen him in this way? Have you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus? Have you believed in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead? Have you? Have you actually shown that to other people? If you can say, yes, I have. Well, have you shown other people that? Have you declared it to other people? Have you told those that are closest to you how much Jesus matters to you? Are you looking for ways to speak and to live that out? We're in a moment right now that is a very unusual moment with this, this COVID-19. And, and one of the things that's, that's just bothered me so much is we were just starting, in fact, some of those that were getting together with me right before, this is in February, we were getting together thinking about how we might be a little more purposeful and deliberate about sharing the gospel and being, being disciple makers. And this COVID thing kind of disrupted some of that, and it's disrupted my own thinking on that. And, and I, I, I'll just be telling you, I'm at a loss how to do that. I'm just, I'm honest with you, I don't know how to do it. But the one thing that we as believers need to do is we need to go ahead and get serious on this thing and say, Lord, we don't know how to do it, but we want to do it. Open up a door, because I believe God can do anything. Don't you think God can do anything? I believe he can. And if we believe he can do anything, then we might want to just go ahead and ask the one who can do anything to do something. And he might well, because oh, he wants people to be saved. We just learned about this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says he wants everyone to come to repentance. So... Christian, are you able to lay aside your biases and your traditions and the way you always have done things to say, how can we figure out how to follow Jesus even better in this new world that we have to live in that's changed people's minds and the way they're thinking? How can we do that? Are we ready to do that? Are you ready to decide to follow Jesus even though you don't know what the future holds and have no idea what I just said entails yeah i'm ready to follow jesus i have no idea what that means some of y'all don't know what it means. i don't know what it means if we follow jesus you know what some of us may literally have to die for our faith we don't know what that looks like i don't know i'm not promising you any of those i just don't know but are you willing to go ahead and do it even though you don't know will you seize on his gospel will you declare his gospel Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.